Welcome to the Endless Wealth Podcast. I'm a mama of two little ones, owner of a multi seven-figure real estate portfolio, and I'm your host, Sarah Miskelly. My mission is to show ambitious, high-performing women in business how they can stop chasing money at work and start making passive cash flow and build wealth from real estate investing. Just be ready because with the right ideas and advice me and my phenomenal guests will share in each episode, you will see things differently than you ever thought possible. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Today, we are going to deep dive with one of my investment partners from Aspen Funds, Mike Sullivan, into the world of alternative assets and how many options there are for LPs, limited partners, or passive investors to get into an asset class that traditionally has only been available to large institutions. This episode is jam-packed. Mike is such an awesome guy, former realtor, now the head of investor relations and capital development at Aspen Funds, which has been around for 10 years and now manages five different funds. They have a massive track record of success and a very high reputation in the alternative asset industry. Mike goes deep into how, as a passive investor, you can choose the right operation team, how to mitigate for risk, investing passively in deals. And he shares a really great story about how he's been able to change the trajectory of his family's wealth, his parents, by having them learn and get access to opportunities in the alternative asset space. Make sure you listen to the end. This episode is jam-packed and it was a privilege to have Mike on today. So my journey really started in real estate. My entire career has been real estate. So I've touched most aspects of the industry, kind of ranging from, you know, doing retail representation, mostly been in the investment space, got my start in the residential sector, uh, had uh, kind of worked up the corporate ladder within uh, the property management industry, um, done a lot of uh, fix and flip type of investments, so done high volume of, of real estate investing kind of from start to finish covering residential, commercial, uh, now obviously doing a lot of uh, more commercial type of investments in industrial, multifamily, retail. Uh, but then outside of that, obviously with Aspen here, we're doing other asset classes like mortgage note funds and uh, energy funds. So we got a, a kind of a wide variety of of what we're doing. So really, my story is the the very quick version is is started out in property management early in my career, uh, worked my way up the corporate ladder, got disenfranchised with corporate America, and really pivoted more to the investment side, both for myself and and kind of career pivoted into private alternatives. So that's really where uh, m- both myself and Aspen have kind of come together. So I've known uh, Bob and Ben Frazier for decades. So grew up here in Kansas City. We're based out of Kansas City and uh, go way back. Our families know each other. And so there's there's kind of deep family ties there, uh, but, but a real passion for investing, a real passion for real estate and just alternatives in general. We haven't found the investments uh, just in the traditional systems that uh, I'm sure your you know your journey probably parallels much of this so I started to look outside of those traditional uh, investment offerings that are stock market and and you know financial planner working with those which uh, is is a whole different topic right but uh, this alternatives world really my eyes were opened up uh, early in my career as I kind of transitioned out of corporate and into 
into the investment world. And uh, so I've been been with Aspen here for for a little over a year. I do uh, all of our capital development, work with our investor relations team. So Ben Frazier, our chief investment officer, uh, he and myself and and another colleague, we we kind of run all of the the capital initiative here as we're continuing to grow. So we'll we'll kind of get into some more of that as as we discuss. But that's that's the short story. I appreciate it. I think that's why I get along with you so well. So we both started in property management. I started when I was about 16. I grew up in it. Um, but I think what's really wonderful is when you meet people that are in this industry and they've scaled up in a sense, but there's a wealth of knowledge of, of every aspect of the asset class. Uh, so it gives you a little bit more, I would say, um, understanding <laughs> of what it's totally. like to be in each role and the importance of each role. And for you personally, you know, a lot of my listeners are limited partners. They're looking to invest passively in real estate. What is your experience with investing as a limited partner, a passive investor? I think just share about that and some of the key lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah. I mean, the big lesson is really real estate is management intensive, right? So you know that, I know that owning real estate is a wonderful and beautiful wealth creating tool. Uh, the management of that is is quite cumbersome and can be quite challenging. So. Um, you know, multifamily being one of those asset classes that a lot of folks are familiar with. So that's that's kind of where my career started was like boots on the ground, leasing apartments when I was in college, you know, so I I really got down to to the nitty gritty of what management process looks like having conversations with tenants. Uh, so I've been there. I've done that. Uh, I've gotten calls in the middle of the night and, you know, had to jump to emergencies. So it's quite cumbersome. Um, and, and so the passive the passive route really uh with with trusted partners you know that's a that's a key point having trusted partners to be able to give you access to uh, the power of real estate without you know what we'd say like the tenants toilets and termites you know you're not having to do the active management of of, of managing those things so it's a beautiful way to get the advantages of depreciation appreciation cash flow all of these things uh, while not having to deal with the headaches and the phone calls and you know the difficulties that come with the actual operations so uh, that's a key differentiator and you and i know uh know the challenges probably more intimately than most and um yeah so my my journey has really taken me from kind of that front line up into you know having passive investments myself um obviously aspen were we're doing more institutional grade investments now. So it's not just fix and flip and have a tenant in your single family home, you know, definitely graduating the process. And obviously Asper, we're doing things that are, uh, you know, a class type of multifamily assets where we're adding some type of value or potentially doing development, those type of things. So definitely more institutional grade, more volume, uh, creates more diversification uh, and also creates, uh, you know, typically great opportunities when they're, when they're a little bit higher grade of investment. And Aspen has a quite a you know varied product suite. That's what I'm gonna call product suite. You have different investments. If somebody's coming in and they're trying to decide as an LP, a passive investor, what to invest in, how would you guide somebody to make that decision? Like, should they invest in notes, mortgage notes? Should they invest in multifamily? Should they get into oil and gas? What would be the factors that would help you make that decision? Yeah, so it's it's tricky, right? So in the world of alternatives, we're we're not investment advisors, right? So it's from a legal perspective a little tricky. I can't advise anybody, um, but the the logic 
is there. So it can really, uh, I think our role, I view our role very much as, hey, these are deals that we want to do ourselves. We're creating uh, diversification for ourselves, which is kind of a core tenant with investing, right? You don't put all of your eggs in one basket. You you scatter so that you can gather over time. So uh, I would say kind of core tenant here again would be diversification. Outside of that, um, somebody who's looking for you know cash flow over growth may have they may be in different seasons of life. So it's really it kind of comes down to uh, trying to understand that person's needs. Uh, so an LP investor who's say approaching retirement or they're selling a business that's been an income generating type of business and they need to replace that, they're probably looking for something maybe a little more conservative, something a little bit more focused on cash flow and consistency versus something that's, you know, I'm, you know, still in the phase where I'm growing, right? So I would be focused on maybe something that's more aggressive with yield, but that yield is a little less predictable, more risk. So what here at Aspen, really what we look at is is a couple of different things. So we have a macroeconomic perspective, which is we're looking at large trends around the world, really, and, and here in the U.S., which is where we operate, and really condensing those trends down into what are investable assets and asset classes that are well supported from an economic perspective. And then do they have, you know, five, 10 years plus of runway where we can mitigate risk by having fundamental economics supporting and propping up that asset? So that's kind of one of the one of the baseline kind of foundations of of why we do what we do and why we're diversified. So Really, our genesis was over a decade ago uh, in the wake of the ripple effects of the great financial crisis. Uh, a lot of things changed in the banking world and particularly the mortgage world. And so created these opportunities to buy um, you know, distressed mortgage notes uh, that were both performing and non-performing, but they were discounted heavily. So it's a, it's a, whole, <laughs> it's a whole rabbit hole. So I won't go for sake of time, won't go there. But um, that that trend was kind of an opportunity, right? Timing is very, very critical. And that's what these economic trends are, are saying. It's like, it's, it, you and I both 20 years ago would love to have bought Amazon stock, right? Because now we could look at that in hindsight. So having these, uh, these timing moments, these moments of timing and understanding uh, what's happening is, is what's creating these opportunities. So that's really why I say the economics or the foundation is looking for these opportunities with these asset classes that have runway. So the genesis of Aspen again was buying up mortgage notes and we've operated those funds for years and several of them are still in operation that are just going to continue for, for decades to come. So, uh, you know, through that process, we ourselves are looking for diversification. So we've started to diversify uh, our investment offerings into, you know, different real estate assets like, uh, for example, we're doing, we just did 200 units here in Kansas City in a submarket of Kansas City that was a kind of a B plus asset uh, that was just underutilized, um, not a huge value add. It's already been kind of partially renovated, but has assumable debt. So we, we really like deals in an environment where interest rates are really inflated. It's creating this opportunity and uh, or we're looking for assets where we can step in and really secure uh, favorable debt terms. So like we're not going super heavy on just doing tons and tons of multifamily in a debt environment where uh, it could be problematic. So, 
you know, that asset, we were able to assume the debt for, you know, fixed at 3.9% and come in and finish some value add, get the rents up to market, et cetera. So no, no crazy business plan. Uh, it's just the fundamentals are there. And then, you know, that's just one example. We're doing some industrial development right now. Um, kind of the big trend that's behind that is globally, there's a lot of forces that are bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. So manufacturing, logistics, warehousing, all those things are uh, booming here in, in the States. And probably a lot of folks that will listen to this, whatever state that they're in, they're probably seeing a lot of class A concrete tilt buildings going up all around. Uh, and so that's that's what we're doing. So we're coming in and uh, able to develop those in, in a relatively short period of time. And the net absorption, or at least the, the absorption of the new inventory, the numbers from a national perspective are off the charts. So like we just, we're not even technically have the uh, occupancy permit on our first building. It's 250,000 square feet and it's already, the lease is almost done. So it kind of gives you some insight into what's happening globally and and why that's well supported in that asset class. So those would just be kind of examples of how we're executing on those uh, on those trends. And then a big a big opportunity that we've seen is in the energy sector. There's multiple factors there, but uh, we've we've got a couple of energy funds. We just we're wrapping up our second fund right now. We'll probably have a third later this year. And really what's driving that is some big shifts in supply and demand. A lot of production being disincentivized. Uh, a lot of the you know historically large institutional private equity that has funded uh, oil and gas operations is, for uh, political reasons, has pressures to pull out, and so it's creating these buying opportunities uh, with you know new shifts in, in supply and demand is creating uh, some pretty favorable returns. So. We like to look at it as diversification. So, you know, mortgage notes and a lot of those funds that we have, these are, uh, you know, more conservative in nature, more income driven. You've got real estate assets that are kind of a mixture of both where we've got some income component, we've got appreciation, we've got some tax benefits through depreciation. Um, and then you've got something more opportunistic like oil and gas that's both growth, cash flow, but higher risk because it's commodities. So. We like diversification and, and, you know, we mitigate risk a number of different ways, which we can get into if you like, but, but that's, that's really how we look at it. And, and, you know, back to your original question, how an LP needs to decide really is, you know, what phase of life are they in and definitely don't put all your eggs in one basket, like look for diversification. That's both in terms of asset class, as well as operators. Don't, don't just put all your money with one person. That's a, you know, it leaves you potentially too much exposed. So just, building relationships with people like yourself and other operators who are, you know, best in class and, and have track record and have, you know, the ability to communicate clearly and effectively with you and provide timely reporting. And it's, it's some of these small things in the background that are actually really big deals that, uh, uh, you know, that I would really start to look for from an LP perspective is, you know, how do you perform on the stuff that really matters to me after I give you my money? So an excellent summary. And I know for you, maybe it felt like a lot, but what I would like to highlight here is there was so much there. And that's because there's so much work that gets done for a passive investor that they don't have to deal with. Somebody's not going to go out, uh, you know, and really understand at a macro level, the energy sector or, you know, mortgage notes, industrial. That's what a, a team like yours is able to do is take the, that macro data, 
bring it to somebody and then also say, okay, we're actually giving you this option to diversify so that you can A, look at your stage of life and what is required of you. And then also how can you take advantage of the trends, but at the same time, protect yourself through diversification. So there's so many pieces, um, you know, that get brought together when you work with, you know, like you said, best in class operators it's not just a quick uh, get rich quick scheme. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And these are also relationships that are totally. not to be taken lightly because, you know, the lifespan of some of these deals, you know, you're looking at seven years at times. Uh, that's that's a, a lot longer than most relationships. <laughs> so it does matter, yeah. you know, who you're getting with is, is going to be someone that you're going to be working with. And I know a lot of LPs, they'll get into a deal once and they'll end up just cycling through if they like the operator team. So none of it is to be taken lightly. And, you know, really should dig deeper a little bit on the risk mitigation. You know, there's the diversification, there's working with a great team. Then for somebody who's getting into this as an LP, with all the noise, how do they distinguish for themselves who is good to work with? Like, what should they be doing on their end in terms of upfront due diligence mm. to ensure that they've, they've, you know, crossed their T's or dotted their I's? Yes, that's the right way to say it. So that they're making a good decision, they can sleep at night essentially by handing over 100k, 50k. It's, it's not a, a small sum of money. Yeah. Well, a couple of things uh, on that point would be, uh, I would say first and foremost, access. Like, does that person have access to somebody in that uh, organization that you know either has skin in the game or is you know uh, a couple contacts removed from somebody in the organization that has skin in the game? So. I would say skin in the game would be one of those. And then the access to communicate with somebody directly um, is, is important from my perspective, particularly in the alternatives world. Um, uh, alongside of that is really track record is how have you performed historically? And have you done what you said you would do? And if you didn't, how did you communicate that things are going to go wrong and in investing things go wrong in real estate. Like that's, that's the nature of investing, right? There's there's a return because there's a risk. So, ensuring that uh, the communication up front uh, is uh, is appropriate for the amount of risk for that investment, um, and and how that's you know being communicated back uh, through the you know through the life of the asset and after that asset is either exited or if it's still in operation, like what does the ongoing communication on performance look like? And and uh, just generally, what does the track record look like? Have you lost people's money? Have you had lawsuits? You know, do you have background checks on your partners? Can you provide information? So those are pretty fundamental. Uh, so as an LP investor, that's always what I would look for. I would say somebody who's uh, just through the conversation of whoever you have access to, usually the way they answer a question is going to give you some insight. If you said, hey, you know, I was hoping to uh, take a look at your partner's background checks. Do you have those available or could we have those run? So if somebody's unwilling to do that, you know, it might be a red flag, right? So there's just some sim simple interviewing process that is going to answer some questions. Um, on the risk mitigation side, um, you know, same thing, asking some questions, you know, like for, for us, we know what we do from an underwriting perspective, but it's it's hard for, you know, somebody who doesn't know us to say, have you looked at enough deals to even decide if this is a good deal, right? So like for us, probably for every, you know, 100 or for every one deal that we do, say a multifamily investment, for every one multifamily investment, we've probably looked at 100 deals. And of those 100 deals, that's the best deal that that partner that we might be partnering up with or investing with 
it might be their best deal. So for us, the way that we look at it, a way to mitigate, because we're multi-asset class, um, we're looking for the best-in-class assets themselves um, for, for those asset classes where we need to partner up with somebody who's you know, fulfilling some type of operational efficiency for that investment. Uh, we're looking at their track record. We're, looking, we're going really, really deep in due diligence with everyone that we partner up with. So all of that to say, the number of deals that you look at and the number of deals that you say no to is maybe a, a simple question you know, when you're trying to do due diligence is, you know, before you started this deal, how many deals did you pass up on? And that'll be a good indicator of like, if, if they're actually uh, set up to really evaluate, uh, you know, really evaluate the best opportunities, basically. So uh, kind of the, I would say behind some of this, just specifically for Aspen, our, our partners, several, our founding partners are, uh, there are some gray heads in the room. So they've been through multiple cycles. They've seen some downturn. They've had, you know, personal loss themselves. And so I would say getting a little bit more of the narrative, I guess, or some of the story behind the partners and, and uh, what, how do they answer, you know, how did you handle the last downturn? What were things like in 08? What did you learn from 08? You know, some of those those key questions will give you some insight and in, uh, how transparent somebody would be with answering a question like that. Cause they may have lost a lot. And if they're willing to tell you that, I, I think it speaks volumes. So um, we here at Aspen, I would say are, are allergic to undue risk. So we look at all these inv investments, as I said, on kind of an, a continuum of risk. So you'd have something, what we call core, which is, this is probably more conservative in nature. There's not a bunch of value add money. There's we're not having to speculate that much on the investment. And you've got a core plus, which is a little bit more like maybe you have to speculate on stuff. Uh, then you've got, you know, a, a value add type of opportunity where hey, this is you know good bones for this investment, but it it needs quite a bit of value add. So we're we're speculating more on that. Um, we're creating a pro forma that's pretty forward looking and. So that's kind of in that middle range. Then you've got development, which is, hey, this is all new inventory. Uh, so we don't really have history to exactly show how the, an asset might perform. And then you've got something opportunistic, which would be like commodities. So we look at it a continuum. So the risk and reward need to be in line. So that's that's something I would really try to dig into as from an LP perspective is where does this asset place in that continuum? And, and is there enough reward? Is there enough downside coverage? If things don't go to plan, there's enough downside coverage for me not to lose my capital. Uh, and is there enough upside for me to have enough return to take on the risk? So it's that's an oversimplification, but that kind of that's the way we conceptualize how to how to look at these investments. It's very detailed. And that's kind of what people really need to understand is there's a lot that goes into figuring out which deals to work on and even the partnerships that you're forming. Um, in addition to the partnerships that at Passive Investor are forming, it's very thoughtfully done. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you talk to a lot of people. I know I know you do <laughs> every day. And do you have any, you know, success stories or just, you know, people that have kind of got into this alternative asset space and they were like, wow, like, I didn't know about this. And you just know that you've really created an opportunity for somebody that they may not have had before. I don't know if there's anything that comes top of mind. Totally. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of give an example that's kind of close to home. Uh, 
because I feel authorized to share it is so my parents have have worked very long uh, their entire life and uh, very hard at, at what they've done. They uh, were fortunate enough to kind of come into some some inheritance. And it was kind of the first time in their life where it was this like, OK, I've got I've got this nest egg uh, that has been passed down to me. And now what do I do with it? Right. I don't I don't know what to do. They've they've approached a time in life where they're also trying to plan to slow down. Um, and so I've been able to come in uh, and help them. And Aspen has really been able to come in and help them and um, place their capital into the appropriate areas, you know, take on the appropriate risk, not take all of their money, you know, take some of, of their wealth and put that into a strategy that works for them. You know, it's, it's tricky because, you know, again, Aspen is not their advisor. I was fortunate enough that I'm their son, so I could get, get kind of close to their situation, but, um, you know, they're now set up basically in the next five years, they have everything they need to have a hundred percent of all their income replaced. Um, so we're, well, I guess it's four years. We're about a year and a half in, so a little three and a half years. And they'll be at a spot where all of the income that they've had through all these years is a hundred percent replaced through passive investments that are generating income. So, um, you know, we're not there. It's not the end of that cycle yet, but, um, but so far so good. And and so they're very very happy with that. So that's a, that's kind of I would say very similar to a lot of experiences that we've had with with our investors who are kind of entering this this phase of life of approaching retirement and you know losing income. They've put their money in these traditional systems of I've got my four hundred one k, I've got my IRA, I've got these accounts, uh, but they're also not performing super great. And I've made. I didn't make any money really this past year in my IRA. So what what should I do? So what I found, uh, honestly, this is a pretty common occurrence. So I mean, I'm telling this generally, but I, this is, I mean, I probably have this conversation every week with somebody whose eyes are being open to the world of self-directed IRAs. And it's like, hey, I've dumped a ton of money through the years into this retirement account. And I, I just heard this thing about being able to self-direct and I don't even know what it means. So it's like, comes this whole rabbit hole of realizing the alternative investment space. Um, so self-directed IRAs, you know, for those of you that haven't discovered what those are, I'm sure Sarah can be a resource for you there uh, as well as there's tons of resources online. Just start learning, start educating yourself. There's platforms that are becoming more prominent. I mean, this, this industry is somewhat new, right? 2012 was really the big shift when 506C, uh, you know, these Reg D exemptions kind of came in and people start to be able to publicly get access to these alternative investments. Historically, this is all dominated by the ultra wealthy. And if you look at the alternative space in general, the ultra wealthy allocate 50% of their wealth towards alternatives um, and not just, you know, traditional efficient systems like stock market. Um, stocks and bonds. So it's it's a big world. Uh, it's it's new in a sense where it's like we don't have 50 years of operating in this alternative space uh, kind of corporately here with, with a lot of access the way that there is now. So it's kind of a unique time for people, kind of your point, like you got to get to know some people to figure out uh, what to ask and how to do due diligence and all these things. And then as the you know, layers get peeled back, you'll start to realize, hey, there's these products out there. There's these uh, opportunities for me to take all of my hard-earned money that I put into my 
retirement and I can create a uh, self-diversified portfolio of investments that are, you know, generally outpacing what uh, what we've seen in the markets. So it's it's kind of an exciting time in that sense. And so I, I had that story with, I, I mean, like I said, probably once a week, I'll have a conversation with somebody whose eyes have just been open to this whole world. And it's super exciting. So I feel very passionate about, we at Aspen feel very passionate about working with uh, accredited investors in this way. And although we can't advise them, we can point them in the dry, right directions. We can tell them the facts um, and help them you know, be, be a, a resource for in, these investment offerings that are kind of designed for them specifically. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think a lot of us can relate, <laughs> you know, when we have parents or coming into money and that weight of, well, what do I do? How do I be a good steward of this capital? Uh, and I too find it a privilege to just be sharing with people about new opportunities. I was just on the phone yesterday with the woman. She didn't know about 1031 exchange. She's about to sell a property and she didn't know she could put that into a syndication. And it's just these, these things right. that people aren't aware of that I truly, yes, feel like it's a privilege to be able to share them because people did it for me. And that time I'm where I'm at right now. You know, I live in Costa Rica. This is all because of real estate investing and just being able to, for you, create that safe haven for your parents through what you've learned. Uh, And it is, like you said, access to information, having great partners, that one person could have all the information or the deal floor or whatever that looks like to really elevate your understanding of where you are at in life. So really appreciate you sharing that, Mike. And where can people learn more about Aspen? Totally. Well, I mean, like anyone else, our website is a wealth of information. So it's uh, aspenfunds.us. So you're, you're welcome to take a look at what we do specifically. If you're looking just more for investing wisdom, uh, we do have a podcast as well. Uh, called Invest Like a Billionaire. So that's hosted by uh, two of our partners, Ben Frazier and Bob Frazier. So Bob is our founder and CFO. Ben is our chief uh, investment officer. Um, it's fan- it's a fantastic resource. So it's uh, bringing in a lot of kind of high level uh, professionals around the alternative world, in the alternative world. Um, as well as bringing some of this economic information and, and kind of investing wisdom to to the forefront. So Invest Like a Billionaire is a great way to get to know us if, if you just want to kind of hear what we're all about and go go down a rabbit hole. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you there. So that's where you can find us. Uh, for me, uh, you know, Sarah, you've, you've got all my information, so feel free if there's anyone that wants to reach out, you've got my information. But otherwise, love what you're doing. Super passionate about uh, really women in general getting into this world of alternatives we're actually seeing a lot of it so like you're on the forefront uh in this in this space and there's uh there's a number of women that are doing this and, and are really uh creating communities and so i'm loving it and we're 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 excited to be uh, on a part of your journey in any way so just just know that and we're we're cheering you on Awesome, Mike. It's a privilege to partner with you. And thank you so much. I'm excited for what 2024 is going to bring. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Endless Wealth Podcast. If you loved what you heard here, please leave me a five-star review on Apple. It would mean the world to me to get this information out to more people like you.